So we're carrying on talking about Jesus and the miracles that he was doing, the healing that he brought. And um, I'm going to take us up at chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark. And by this stage, Jesus has already started to perform various miracles in, in the region of Galilee. Um, he had um, cast out demons from people. He had healed many who had presented to, to him as, as having a, a sickness or something. And so there was a tremendous buzz in the air because Jesus was coming back to Capernaum, his home. And he had been there before. He'd, that was his home. He had preached there before. He'd gone to the surrounds and he was back there again. He had developed this reputation and the crowds really wanted to see him and to hear him because he was speaking different things, things that they hadn't heard before. He was enlightening them on who God was um, and he was doing miraculous things and they were interested. So we're picking up at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So the people of Capernaum were excited. Jesus was there and they were flocking to see him. And so much so that they really, really packed this house out where he was, he was at because he was the one that they wanted to listen to. He was the one that they'd come to see. And um, there were so many people that, that people were just cramming outside the door as well. Um, just to paint a picture of what was going on, there's an image of a house that I was able to um, just find. Hopefully he's up there, yep. Um, so houses in that area at the time, they were pretty simple in the sense that they were typically one storey tall, walls made out of um, stone or mud, brick, and then roofs that were lined with beams. Sorry, I'm, I'm an engineer, so um, <laughs> I like to look into these things. Maybe then on top of the beams there were sticks, and then on top of the sticks there could have been some clay tiles. That's mentioned in one of the other Gospels. And then just sealed with mud, which was dried out to form a hard surface. And effectively, houses would have what looks like a terrace on the top of them, with a set of stairs leading up to them. So the house could have looked something like this. So people were there, and they were expectant. In the passage we read, there were four men that brought a paralysed man to see Jesus. They carried the paralysed man on a mat. The word for mat, he can also mean a type of a stretcher. In those days, a mat would have been akin to a wheelchair in our time. No wheelchairs back then. It is likely that something like this mat would have been used to just transport the man around. He would have sat on it. He would have ate from it probably. If he needed to beg for money, he would have begged from it likely. Anyway, it was something that was associated with him, something that he was bound to and reliant on. More about that later. So because the crowd was so thick in that place, the four helpers could not get their friend in to see Jesus. But their mission was to get their friend in front of Jesus. They were determined to do this. They had a conviction that Jesus was the one who had something that their paralysed friend needed. 
and this was overwhelmingly apparent in their actions. It was going to be difficult to stop these guys. Not even a roof was going to stop them from getting in there. And so they did a bit of problem solving, found a way up, and, um, and then started to dig. Every time I read this passage, I'm amazed by the faith of these guys. Mel mentioned faith before, and their audacity. These men truly believed that Jesus was worth getting to. Try to imagine yourself in a house like that, where you're packed. Now, there's no social distancing. You are packed in. No one else can fit inside this place. You are in contact with the people beside you. You feel the body heat in the room and the smells that might be associated with being all packed in together. There's, you know, you're, you're there and Jesus is preaching in front of you. You're happy to be sitting there because Jesus is talking to you and telling you these things that are just lightening up your heart. But as Jesus is doing this, you're interrupted. That there's some dust that starts to fall from the ceiling and then some clumps of clay that drop down. And then you look up and you see these blokes that are starting to dig their way through and a man gets lowered in to be in front of you, between you and Jesus. What are you going to think? Wonder? Amazement, intrigue, maybe, anger, outrage. After all, these men are disrupting proceedings. They're stopping Jesus from speaking his life-changing words. And they put somebody in between you and Jesus as well. There's no notion here that these men are going to wait politely in the queue to see Jesus. They've gone to great lengths and they put at risk their reputation and potentially cost because they would have had to fix the roof ultimately anyway. But they must have really thought that Jesus was worth getting to. And Jesus' reaction here is somewhat um, interesting at this audacious behaviour. He's not outraged at their actions. He's not outraged at these disruptive roof-wrecking queue jumpers, as I've written here. Instead... He sees and is pleased with the faith of these men. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're not really sure about the faith of the paralysed man or what part he played in it. Perhaps he was a willing participant in all of this. But what is clear is the faith of those four friends that helped to lower him in to see Jesus. This had effect. This is very apparent to all. They pushed through inconvenience and put their faith into real action. They come to see Jesus because they were expectant. No one else would do. One could say that the four helpers had indeed already been changed by Jesus' ministry that they may have heard of before through what they had seen for themselves. But they were emboldened anyway, nevertheless to take their friend to see Jesus when they heard that Jesus was in town. So carrying on with our passage from Mark chapter 2, looking at verse 5, we see that when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the men looking up at them, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Strange. Although the paralysed man had been brought there because of his physical needs, he actually had a greater need. He may not have felt it or may not have been overly aware of it, but what he needed most of all, as in fact we all do, was the forgiveness of his sins 
so that he could be put right with God. And Jesus knew this. After all, Jesus' primary mission was to come to save us from our sins. And Jesus uses this opportunity to teach the crowd about our greatest need and also about who he is and what he came to do. In telling the man that his sins were forgiven, Jesus effectively here claims that he is God. He has the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. This is rather a bold claim. And it may have been the first time that the people then would have heard it. But it's reasonable that they would have been pondering over this. What does he mean? And we read in verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? If it were true that this Jesus could legitimately forgive sins, it would indeed be unprecedented and remarkable. And it would be worth paying attention to Jesus' every word. However, if his claim was false, it would be blasphemy. And in those times, that meant the death sentence. So reading on in verse 8 of the same passage, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? So demonstrating that someone's sins are forgiven is pretty difficult. We don't have a red and light, light on our forehead to say sins, sinful, forgiven. <laughs> so how do you prove something like that? Well, Jesus took the opportunity to demonstrate to the crowd and he declared it this way. He says in verse 10, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus wanted to, people to know what he could do and who he was. This is not just in reference to the crowd that was present there in the room, outside the room, on the roof, wherever they might have been. It's also relevant for us here today. Jesus wants us to know who he is. And so to the paralysed man, in demonstrating who he is, he says in verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So the crowd's amazed. The paralysed man walks. He's no longer paralysed. He indeed has been changed physically. As he obeyed Jesus' instruction in taking his mat and walking home, others beyond the house would have recognised this changed man walking with his mat. The same one who once sat, slept, ate, was carried on the mat, was now, interestingly, carrying the mat. He was changed. He was no longer bound. He was free. And the man needed to walk under Jesus' instruction in his newfound freedom. But what was even more amazing is that Jesus delivered him from an even greater need, a spiritual need, by forgiving his sins. The man was changed inwardly. The burden of his sin was lifted. He had been forgiven by the one who had the authority to forgive sins, the same Jesus who would ultimately become the one to die in our place so that our sins would be forgiven once and for all. Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness for our sins in order to restore us into our relationship with God. 
So Jesus is the one who's worthy of our faith. Lord mentioned faith before. He's demonstrated through the word, his time on earth, and through the work of the Holy Spirit that he is the one who he claims to be. And Jesus wants us to know that he knows our greatest needs and has the ability and the desire to bring the change that we need. Perhaps at times, rather than seeking Jesus, we seek substitutes. We try to solve things in our own way. I know this is an easy thing to do. I know that in my life as well. Um, and at times it, it requires us really to be looking up, to seeing what Jesus has to say about the situation. He knows what we need more than we do. He wants us to know the power and the authority that he has. He wants you and me to know who he is in our lives and to bring life bringing change. Our part is to approach with faith the one who can bring the change that we need. In Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 14 to 16, we're reminded that we can boldly approach God's throne. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I invite you all to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for all that you are and for all that you have done. We thank you that you are a God of love and grace, of power and action, and that you know each and every one of us. Where we lack faith in your ability or lack awareness of your desire to work in us, in us for good, we ask that you would increase our faith and our boldness to know that we can freely approach your throne of grace. Where we need clarity and breakthrough, we invite you and trust you, Jesus, to shine your light on whatever needs attention in our lives. Whatever you want us to know at this time. And we ask for your mighty hand to work in us, to bring your forgiveness, your healing, your deliverance, your restoration, your peace wherever we need it. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen.